Welcome to Digital Garden State, a podcast by the New Jersey Health Information Management Systems Society. The New Jersey Chapter of HIMSS would like to thank their current 2022 corporate sponsors, Business Automation Experts, PKA Technologies, Renner Brown, and ServiceNow. Welcome to the New Jersey Health Information Management System Society podcast series, where we discuss emerging trends in healthcare technology and their impact on our industry. New Jersey HIMS is a consortium of healthcare professionals, providers, and vendors who are committed to promoting constant improvement in the use of information technology within the healthcare industry. I am your host, Brian Welsh, and I'm a board member and president-elect of the New Jersey HIMS chapter, as well as the manager of clinical information systems at Hunterdon Healthcare. And today I'm joined by Monet Haskins, application system analyst at Atlantic Healthcare. And we will explore the topic of change management and its operational processes. Thank you, Monet, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. So if you don't mind, if we could start out just, you know, a brief introduction on yourself and your, you know, your current role and some of your backgrounds in, uh, in healthcare IT. Uh, sure. Um, so, um, as you know, my name is Monet Haskins. I'm a registered nurse um, by first trade. Um, I also sit on the board of New Jersey HIMSS, and I serve on a couple of committees there, one being informatics committee. And uh, also, currently, I am an application systems analyst for Atlantic Healthcare. Um, I've served in different roles from project management, business analysts, and such. So. Uh, today's topic will be very interesting for me to talk about. Great. Yes, we're very excited and uh, we know you have a wealth of experience. So um, the first question I've been asking all of my guests is, you know, what does change management mean to you? We know that, you know, change management, depending on what industry you're in or what level of the organization you're at, may have a different meaning. So in your experience, uh, what does the term change management mean to you? Uh, well, thank you. That's a great question, Brian. Um, for me, change management in the healthcare space, right? Because as you mentioned, uh, change management is a tool that's used across different industries. Um, so, but for the healthcare space, what it means to me is a standardization, standardized process of implementing internal and external changes that may affect uh, your healthcare organization. Can be system changes, uh, communication changes, telecommunication, um, end user changes, revenue cycle, all the different facets of an organizational level um, experiences change management. And so that's what that means to me. Great, and I think that's uh... A great definition there because you're correct. I mean, change management is not just focused on one area. It really encompasses the entire organization. Um, so with that, you know, if you could go into, I know in, in conversations that you and I have had, you know, you've had some experience in, you know, setting up a change management process and being a part of that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your role with 
um, setting up a change management process and what that looked like and who were the key players and, um, you know, just kind of that basic, that basic structure of a change management. Um, sure. Uh, thank you for asking, Brian. Um, I have implemented change processes in different institutions. Most institutions um, that I've worked with have already had some type of change management process in place. Uh, but there was one specific hospital that didn't have a change management process at all. And so I was, I was called in to help them kind of figure out um, their next steps, where they needed to go. And the first thing that um, I always implore um, in setting up change management is identifying the stakeholders. Um, you know, that's very, that's huge because you're going to need um, all different facets and different levels of leadership um, to be involved in the entire process. And so that's where you get your initial buy-in from. Um, the other thing um, that I like to do with organizations is have sort of a gap analysis, right? To determine uh, what are their gaps in systems functionality. Um, in some cases, organizations want to optimize their system for more efficiency, uh, perhaps adherence to regulatory um, guidelines and such. So, you know, we determine that. And then after you've identified the stakeholders, then you need to identify the areas where the change will impact um, the different departments and leaders of that department. And a lot of times, um, one of the mistakes I've seen in some organizations as they're setting this up, they kind of leave out um, the builders, the analysts, um, and those folks are imperative to ensure a successful change in your organization. So all facets need to be involved. That's that's great. And you have you said a lot of things that I took some notes on. So I want to I want to break that down a little bit. Um, three things that I wrote down is you know your stakeholders, your gap analysis, and the impact of the change overall. So I want to kind of touch on each one of those those three areas, um, starting with stakeholders. So. You mentioned that stakeholder analysis and having levels of leadership um, is important. Who do you think is the key the key player for really implementing and holding everyone accountable for a change management process? Where does that communication need to come from that this is something that our organization is doing um, for process improvement? Do you find that to be the IT department, the, the C-suite executives, or somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between um, because first the challenge is identifying what the goal and the needs or the mission of the organization is in relation to uh, different type of changes. And once you identify that, then you may find within your organization there are some subject matter experts that can lend additional resources to the conversation. And then after you've established that, then I would say project management, definitely um, you would need a key person that understands those project management processes and understands how to organize tasks and hold folks accountable in that regard. And I've seen 
the project management implementation piece on different levels. I've seen it in IT, I've seen it in HR, I've seen it in C-suite. So it kind of all depends on the structure of the change, in my opinion. No, and I think that that's great. Do you find that the stakeholders or the members involved in the process change depending on um, the departments involved? So as you just said, you know, HR has may have a process or may have some requirements. IT has some requirements. When we're look, when you're looking at those types of changes, do the stakeholders change? Do the do the players change, or is there a solid kind of base of players like a advisory board or a change board, and then additional people come in? Well, for most of the organizations that I've worked with, um, primarily most have set up some sort of governance board, right? That could be interchanged with a change control board or a change management committee and such. And usually the way it usually works is you get variant input from different departments. So for example, maybe a nurse manager on the unit uh, noticed some deficiency in the system and you would hope that you have a process set up where she can um, report that or inquire about that and from that drives this whole change that will not only enhance patient safety perhaps or but um, maybe enhance the workflow for the end users and such and then that would be brought to the governance board or the governance committee and um, at that point you would kind of analyze well okay um, and using that example how would this affect other systems um, other departments, you know, that kind of thing. And then once you've identified that, then you can kind of pull in those people from those perspective places. And then now you have this whole conglomerate of stakeholders. Great. So that, that intake process that you were mentioning, you know, the nurse manager wanting to report something, what is, what have you seen has been like best practice for you know, getting that on the on the list of potential projects, enhancements, whatever you, it may be? Well, in early years, um, I've seen some organizations that had somewhat of a chaotic process where any and everyone can request a change. And so I found that to be, you know, um, very disjointed because that we have changes on the fly, there's no real standardization, there's no process, people get left out of the communication and training. So in recent times, and especially at Atlantic, um, our process is if you have a concern or you wanna request an optimization or you wanna request a change to the system functionality, that goes up into one person, usually your unit manager or leader all those requests were filtered through that person. So this way she has, he or she will just have a bucket of these requests as opposed to them coming from all different directions and areas. And then once that is established, then that is brought to the governance committee to determine whether or not it's a change that actually can be done, right? Um, because you have to factor in the costs, do you have enough FTEs, the budget for the potential change, you know, that kind of thing. 
and I think a lot of uh, a lot of organizations are are in that first bucket. You know, changes come from or change requests come from all over the organization. I know I've seen that in the the organizations I've worked for and people that I've talked with as well. And you know, I find that even with that that process to dedicate, you know, a single individual as a as a resource, you still have some of those outliers that that come, you know, come through. And I think there's always going to be those exceptions, but um, I think that's what you said is a great, great point that if you can have that single point of contact, um, you can kind of manage that intake process a little bit better. Right. I agree. And when you talk about, even with that, there's still some outliers where you still get in certain requests. Um, case in point, if you have a, a immediate change, something that is high risk to patient safety and doesn't have the time, if you will, to go through all those processes that we've outlined earlier, right? You have an emergent change or you have an urgent change. Um, so those, that's where some of those will fall out that. But if you have a process set up for those type of changes, you still would designate a person uh, that you would go to for the urgent change. And for me, it's primarily so communication can be comprehensive across the board. So a lot of times we find that, okay, this has changed, but no one has alerted, you know, the other downstream systems. And so now uh, either something's broken on that level, or they didn't even know that this was going to occur. Great. And, you know, communication is big. And I, the one thing that you mentioned, you, you talk about emergent changes versus, you know, your, your regular changes. Um, I haven't forgot about the gap analysis piece either. I'm, I still have that. We're going to go back to that, but you know, this is a great conversation. So I want to keep it going. Yes, um, so talk to me a little bit about what, what the difference is between, you know, the normal change process versus an emergent change. And if there is a difference, um, what that looks like, and then I'll take it one step further is there a separate process for something that may be considered standard, something that is, you know, happens on a regular basis. It's been tried, it's proven. Um, are there separate processes for those three types or do you find that it's, it's best to just keep it into a simple process? Um, well, thank you. That's a great question, Brian. Um, I've seen it different in different places. Um, but for Atlantic, um, they have different processes for different types of change. And so what I mean by that, um, if you have what we consider a plan change, a normal change that has, you know, low impact or no impact to other systems and such, then that process starts from about 15 days before, you know, you're actually going to move the change into production and it follows a series of steps. We utilize the seven R's model you know, who requested to change, who, you know, why is it required, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so for emergent changes, you will have pretty much the same type of standardization, but it's expedited, of course, right? So let's just say you have something emergent that needs to happen right now. There's a, there's a two-hour processes that we have. So we have like this uh, urgent committee, 
if you will, and that would go direct to them. The managers are all involved with that. Then everyone gets on board. It's like a all hands on deck type of huddle in order to advance the change from testing it, building it, and moving into prod within a short period of time. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And actually, just for the listeners who may not be familiar, um, can you go over what those seven R's are? Sure, sure, I sure can. Okay, so there, there are different models um, that organizations kind of choose from different change management models. You have Lewin's change model, ADCAR. So we adhere to the seven R's, which is who raised the change? What is the reason for the change? What is the return required for the change? What are the risks involved in the change? What resources are required to deliver the change? who's responsible for the build, the test, and the implementation of the change. And also, finally, what is the relationship between this change and other changes? So we have found that in answering those seven R questions, you kind of more so have more of a streamlined process. You can more readily identify the stakeholders in the process, as well as mitigate your risks that may arise, you know, during the different facets of the change. So when you have identified the requester, right, who raised the change, what's the reason for the change? Is this, you know, um, a regular uh, system upgrade? Is this some optimization to the system? Do we want to, you know, perhaps uh, put in some additional clinical documentation, best practices, those type of things. Then what is the return required from the change? What do we hope um, to gain from this? What is the return on our investment, if you will, right? Investment is not always necessarily monetary, but your time, uh, the work efforts, uh, you know, do you have enough people, you know, to man the change, that kind of thing. And then what are the risks involved? Are there any downstream effects, other systems involved? Um, and also one thing I didn't mention, also having a backup plan, right? So if or if you've hit all these buttons, if you hit all these boxes and now you're ready to move your change into pride, you know, you, you yourself probably know that there's always a risk that something you have missed and now something else is broken. Do you have a plan that can back out that piece of the change that you've now put into production um, and your resources, you know, identifying how many resources realistically do we need to implement the change? Who is responsible for the build and the test um, of that particular change request? That usually falls on the analysts, the trainers, um, support folks from IT. And then what's the relationship between this change and other changes, right? So a lot of times, if you don't identify that last R, what's the relationship, some efforts can be duplicated. You know, maybe, you know, there's some other previous changes that was in place, and maybe we can enhance upon that. Um, so knowing what that relationship is, is extremely important as well. That's wonderful. I don't think I knew all of the seven R's. So this was uh, educational for me as well. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, when I said for the for the listeners who may not know, it was really for 
for Brian, who doesn't know. Um, <laughs> That's fine. So I, I do want to go back to the gap analysis piece, and I have a question there um, okay. as well. So I think the gap analysis is great. Um, I know that's something that we've used as well at our organization. Um, so who who's the best, um, you know, what, what group is responsible for conducting that gap analysis? And is there a difference um, between, you know, enhancement related requests versus project related requests? And then optimization requests and is there a different um you know is there different gap analyses that go into play with them are there different processes that go into play with them um or is it does it really all fall under one process um that's another great question uh, again thank you um it doesn't it definitely doesn't fall under one process um again because because change management change management affects different areas of your organization. So yes, you have some that needs a bigger scope, right? So if you're bringing in a, an entire new resource planning, you know, in your financial department, that's a huge project, right? It's an enhancement, but it's a huge project. And that process of scoping and stakeholder gathering and all that type of stuff usually um, will come from the project manager. Some organizations I've seen, depending on how large uh, that type of project is, will um, outsource that to a third party vendor that comes in and, you know, does the gap analysis uh, pertaining to that particular project. Um, and then there was another piece you asked me that I didn't quite catch. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, so. I guess it was, you know, talking about the differences in enhancements, projects, optimization. Okay, right. So yep. um, for us, optimizations are can be something like there's this new functionality that your EHR is offering that you don't necessarily need to implement it into your system in order to function, but, you know, your organization and your physician champions and such, you know, think this would be a great a great thing for the system in relation to you know patient care or clinical documentation and such and that has its own uh, processes in the sense of terms of status labeling so if we're going to do an optimization um, it goes through the same scoping but it's not on the same level as let's say an emergent change or let's say we're upgrading a medication or something like that um, I'm not sure if I quite answered you. Um, you know, would you like no, me to that go was, a little bit more? No, that was great. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so we are coming to the end of our time with one another, but um, uh, have a wonderful time. I, I do want to open it up if there are any, you know, last, you know, recommendations or um, challenges and ways to work around them. Um, on how to increase change management processes or efficiencies, anything that you can offer to our viewers in, in that standpoint? Um, well, um, I definitely recommend that all organizations have some sort of 
change control process, change management. Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk about release management, uh, but that's where, you know, you have all your changes um, kind of bulked to go out at set release times. Um, that improves efficiency and, you know, volume, quality, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the cons, I would say, um, is human behavior. You know, um, folks are, all folks are not easily ready to accept change in new processes. Um, you would definitely want to capture your early adopters if you can. Um, effective communication. Um, a lot of times, if you're if you get your folks involved early on and get them excited about what's to come and communicate um, throughout, you know, the whole process, it gives it gives your staff a sense of inclusivity, right? Um, you know, one of the other recommendations on a proactive side is the standardization. Standardization, um, you know. Research has shown that when your processes have more of a standardized effect, not only uh, does your change become more efficient and you can better ensure a successful change, but also having a standardization process would allow you to catch some things that may have fallen through the cracks if you weren't standardized. Um, it's also uh, a change management control process is great in the reduction of system downtimes, especially if you utilize the release management um, functionality piece of that, because again, all those bundled changes is going into one rollout on a day that your uh, organization has determined, um, and so it would reduce you know a variety of system downtimes. Great, thank you so much, and uh, you touched on a big point on. Uh, organizational culture and, and change in that regard. And we are going to be talking about that. We do have an episode dedicated to that. So that'll be coming up uh, for our listeners as well. Oh, that'd be great. I'll make sure to watch out for that so I can catch up on that. Great. So uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak with me and uh, offer Thank some great insights. Um, so that wraps up our discussion on change management and its operational process. And we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, we look forward to our next podcast in this series on change management. Please check out all of our podcasts for interesting information technology topics on your favorite podcast platforms. On behalf of our guests and the New Jersey HIMSS chapter, thank you for listening.